If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date as of recording is Monday the 27th of July and I'll dive straight in with my personal update. So today was very, very exciting for me. We are achieving something of normality back in the UK um, and by normality I mean if you take into account face masks and offensive amounts of uh, hand sanitizer. So it was my first venture into town today where I was actually able to go to some of the cafes that are newly allowing you to sit in. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, it was absolutely awesome actually getting the chance to go back into an environment where um, I, I seem to work best just being out and around people because as many of you guys obviously know that writing can be very, very solitary. I say it in the intro to the show. Um, but there's something about just being around other people that makes it, uh, I don't know, it just, it just eases that a little bit. So it was nice to go back to a little semblance of normality. Um, and I've had a very productive day so far. I thought I'd stay in cafes all day, but I hit a little bit after lunchtime and was like, had enough. So I'm back at home now, but yeah, just having a bit of a change of scenery has really sort of, uh, lifted, lifted my spirits, I guess. And it's nice to know that hopefully we'll sort of keep opening and that'll continue. Although obviously we have to be prepared for if everything shuts down again. Um, but but we'll see what happens. But yeah, it was it was really, really nice and hats off to uh, 200 Degrees and Costa for doing everything they can to make it as safe as possible for their customers. Not that they're sponsors of this show or anything. <laughs> In fiction news, when you are, or when this podcast goes live, when Winter Comes Episode 3 will be live, um, completing the first three episodes of my long-running novelized serialized novel my my, my long-running serialized novel let's try that um and yeah i have no idea how it's going to perform so far hopefully people like it the feedback i'm getting back from art readers is good it's you know it'll it'll do whatever it does on the day that it comes out so obviously by the time this episode airs i'll have a bit of a hindsight on how the launch went but it's ticking along it's doing what i needed to do and uh, i'll be getting stuck into episode four um with the view that it will now be a monthly release instead of once every fortnight and we'll see how that goes in non-fiction news i haven't made any progress yet with the productivity book um i am just percolating on it and just reading a, a few other books at the minute to get a bit of a, a landscape of my own thinking and just to see if uh, there are any sort of familiar ideas or anything that i can boost my knowledge with before i actually start putting fingers to keyboard and making it happen uh, i am still aiming for something to come out at the end of by the end of this year so we'll see what happens there but yeah I'm, I'm feeling good about it I don't I don't really want to rush it which you know 
you can, I, no, I, I, I won't go to that side of things, but no, I'm not, I'm not going to rush it. Um, and I am looking forward to actually getting stuck in and making it happen. The weekly Great Writers Share tease. Um, big changes are coming. Episode 50 is fast approaching. And I'll say no more this week. Um, but I will also do a little add-on just for anyone who's looking to get more involved in the Great Writers Share community. Just because I've not shouted this out in a few weeks. Um, check out the Facebook group for Great Writers Share, which is just facebook.com slash groups forward slash Great Writers Share. Uh, and also our Patreon, which I will announce or I will shout out a little bit later. Today's guest is the wonderful Ian Rob Wright, who is a horror author from Birmingham, um, so coming close to my neck of the woods. I last spoke to Ian back in 2017, I believe it was Christmas around 2017, um, on the Story Studio podcast, and it's really interesting. I, I love the, having the chance to catch up with authors and see what's happening, particularly those that have continued to make it work, continue to do great things, and I'm on Ian's newsletter list. I have been for, for years and I love seeing his updates. So it was interesting getting to ask some of the questions that I had um, to pick his brains a little bit because he started his career way back in 2011 and he's been making it work since. He's had to go through all the different Amazon um, algorithm changes, everything else. He's dodged, dived, dipped, dip, whatever the dodgeable D's are. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Dodge, duck, dip, dive and dodge. There we go. Um, everything that the the that Amazon has thrown at him and he's managed to keep making it work. So we we go a little bit into his history, a little bit into how he has managed to make it a sustainable career and how he continues to keep pushing forward his attitudes, anything that's changed over the last three years dramatically. We talk about how he has brought his partner into the business with him and uh, some of the complications that may come with that because I find that side of things fascinating when you can actually take a romantic relationship and then turn that into a business relationship and not have one interfere with the other. I think there's massive, massive lessons to be learned from that because it's it's a very difficult thing to do. Not not everyone is compatible in love and business. So they've managed to make it work and we go into that. And we also talk uh, a lot about Ian's attitude towards a mailing list and how he uses his as a central pillar of his business, which uh, for people who have been in this game a while, I don't think that's going to be too um, too rare a concept but for anyone who's listening who is new into their author career it's definitely something to watch out for the great writer share podcast is brought to you by all of our wonderful patrons over at www.patreon.com forward slash great writer share where for as little as one dollar a month you can get extra access to lots of great fantastic bonus extra stuff so we've got early access to ad free episodes you can get entry into our growing private great writer share community early access to the great writers learn content and so much more particularly with the upcoming changes in a few weeks i i definitely advise if you want to get on board get on board now because there's lots to come your way and you get involved one more time at www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share and now without any further ado let's dive into the interview with the one and only ian rob wright One of horror's most respected authors, Ian Rob Wright is the writer of more than 20 books, many of them bestsellers. A previous Kindle all-star and a mainstay in the horror charts, he is a prolific producer of unique and original stories. From his apocalyptic saga, The Gates, to his claustrophobic revenge thriller, Asmo, Ian writes across a broad spectrum of subgenres, creating both beloved series and standalone titles. With work available in several languages and in audio, Ian Rob Wright is one of the fastest rising stars in horror, but when not writing, he is a dedicated family man. Father to Jack and Molly and husband to Sally, he is often seen sharing his family memories with his fans on Facebook. Ian, welcome to the show. <coughs> Thank you for inviting me, Daniel. How are you? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. It sounds like you have coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> no, just uh, not cleaning the house enough and just shaking on my own dead skin cells, I think. Oh, yes. That offers some horror. I love it. Um, 
I mean, so the last time we spoke was back in 2017. Um, As with quite a few of my guests I've had return on this show, the last time we spoke was during uh, the the Story Studio era when you were interviewed by myself and Luke Condor. Um, And I've I've gone back, I've re-listened to the interview, and uh, you said a couple of things. I just want to check back on three years later and see if uh, things have changed. And the first one is you said that last time uh, it was harder to make money in publishing than it used to be. Are you still finding that that's the case in 2020? Um... It is still hard, uh, but there are ways to make more money now. Before, I was kind of, I was earning less money and not really seeing a solution. Whereas now, kind of people have gotten over that dip, and they're like, you know what, you need, you need to do now. You need to advertise. You need to be a bit more professional. You need to be a bit more businesslike. And it was kind of the transition between the lucky days of Kindle when you just threw something out there and it made you money to right now. There's big boys around, and to make money, mm. you need to. Come so yeah it's definitely still more difficult but there is kind of there's a roadmap now that you can follow so it's less like just throwing spaghetti at the wall and you can go right I'm going to do a strategic plan I'm going to do business plan I'm going to follow it and you know hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel now for people that aren't getting sales or that don't know where to begin if if they're just starting out Mm. Um, I think you know 2011 when I did it and this is true for a lot of authors like um, you know Joanna Penn and Mark Dawson both started in 2011 as well. And that seemed to be a key year where the 70% royalty came in, but then there was only about 300,000 books on the Kindle store. So (laughs) it was so easy to make money. Um, And, you know, I wrote one shitty book, The Final Winter, which (laughs) needed editing. And I've I've rewritten that book probably three times since. But back then, it wasn't a great book. It didn't have a great cover. And yet it replaced my income and allowed me to work full-time as an author. So that today is very unlikely to happen. I think today you've got to go, right, I want to be an author, I'm serious about it, I'm going to try hard and I'm going to do it, you know, the right way. And it takes a bit of effort and time now. Um, It's still absolutely possible and there's still a lot of new authors coming through and quitting their day jobs like yourself. You know, you've quit more recently than Mm. some of the guys like me. Um, So it's still definitely possible, but there's no quick fixes anymore. It's like any other business, it takes a lot of sort of time, effort and, and a little sprinkling of luck. Mm. just to uh, sprinkle a bit of context on your journey for my audience are you okay just to give a little bit of an overview of your journey from sort of 2011 to now and maybe some of the key markers that you've experienced along your way with some of your releases and, and maybe the changes on kindle yeah well, i mean um serendipity got me where i am i think if i've done if the situation that caused me to be a full-time author happened even two years later it wouldn't have panned out the way it did um i was a phone salesman um, sometimes a salesman, sometimes a manager, but I'd work for Orange Phones for you, um, a couple of others, and um, that had pretty much been what I'd been doing since I'd left college. Um, I was at university, but I spent all my money on booze, and I ended up quitting after a year and things, and, and this was the University of Birmingham, so it's a good university as well, um, but I was just a bit of a mess. Um, so I started being a full-time phone salesman, I was earning quite good money, this was back when mobile phones were pretty new in the UK. So pretty much everyone through the door came in and didn't have a mobile phone and you could sell them one. So I made a mistake when I was young by following money instead of what I actually wanted to do. So I started out on Orange and I was making, you know, a couple of grand a month as a teenager and it was great. And I, I quit university because I was I wanted to be an English teacher and things. And um, I did one year and then that was it. Mm. Thought phones were great. I thought I was going to be a manager and that was my career. 
few years down the line, I was miserable. I hated it. Everybody had a mobile phone, which meant everybody through the door. You had to basically scam them. You had to try and get them to cancel their contract with T-Mobile and get them to come to three. And it got really nasty and really sort of doggy dog. And, you know, I was in a position where I was being forced to sell insurance to old ladies and, and I just hated it. And the managers were under stress. So they started becoming complete toss pots and area managers were you know, only interested in their bonuses, which, you know, in fairness for you, the area manager bonus was 50 grand a year on top of their 50. So if you messed with their bonus, they would, you know, make your life hell. Um, And I was just, I was absolutely miserable. Um, I was also suffering with generalised anxiety disorder at the the time, which I didn't know I had. I just thought I was a bit of a mess. Um, I was with my current partner, who's now my wife. um, But back then our relationship was just all over the place because, I was a bit of an insecure, jealous freak. And basically, I was at the most worst point of my life. Um, and I, I was pretty close to a nervous breakdown, I'd say. And um, the light at the end of the tunnel for me, and at the time, it was a pipe dream. And I was just, I was completely naive and kidding myself. But I, I was writing a book in my spare time. And I'd always wanted to be an author. I was like, I'm going to be an author. I'm going to be an author. I can't do phones anymore. Um, one day, a, a manager... Um, Three pushed me a bit too hard, and I just I, I just walked out and I'm done. I'm like, you know, fuck it. Um, came home, my wife was like, oh, well, she was my girlfriend then, but I was living at her house, and she was like, why you just quit your job like that? Like, where are we going to get money from and stuff? So she was really angry, but she was successful. She she could kind of afford to pay the bill. So she said, like, you know, you keep going on about this bloody book. You know, what are you going to do? You're going to send it off to agents and all that? And I was like, yeah, well, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. Honestly, if I haven't got a job in six months, I'll go back into the phone industry. You know, I can walk into any phone industry job, which, which I could because of my experience and things. Mm. And, and sort of it was musical chairs at the phone shops because people were always coming and going. So she gave me six months and I was like, okay, that's fine. Six months, I promise. I'll, I'll get this book published. I'm going to send it to every agent, which, you know, I did. And I spent weeks doing these, you know, really repetitive letters and things like that and sending it off i had the uh, the writers and artists handbook which she was supposed yeah, to yeah. get so i went through all the you know the tr- traditional garbage um and in the meantime i don't i, I don't know what, how i came about it but i became aware of kdp online because i was so desperate miserable and, and probably drunk most of the time as well at that point um I just went for it. I went, you know, I didn't, I I thought this is probably going to hurt me because if I put it online, then nobody's going to publish it for me. So I kind of thought I'm taking the shortcut that's easy and I shouldn't be doing it, but I'm desperate. So I put it on KDP and then the first month it made me, I think 16 quid and this was the May. And, um, I was like, okay, well, you know, that's that's kind of it was kind of amazing because that sixteen quid came from strangers, and then mm. there was a couple of strangers on Facebook who were talking to me, and then I got a couple of reviews, and it was a big buzz. The next month, I did fifty four quid, I think, and I was like, well, you know, look, that's gone up. At least I'm earning something now. It's not nothing. And my, my girlfriend was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> you've, got a, you've got a little bit to catch up on the two grand a month you're earning. So, um, and then the next month, it did over a hundred. And then at month six, it did um, it did about 1,500, 1,600 quid, which is more or less what I was earning as a salesman at the time. So I was like, I've, I've fucking done it. I said, give me six months. But it's month six. I've come in at the wire and I've done it. I've replaced my income. About six months after that, I had a five grand month and we went out and brought a new sofa and a massive telly. And it was kind Amazing. of like, 
pitching myself and I was like, this can't be happening. I've got one book out. Actually, the five grand came when I released my second book. So I had two books out and I did a five grand. And up until that point, that was stupid, crazy money. I've never had, the most I've ever had in my life was probably two and a half, three grand during the Christmas month, you know, as a manager mm. at Fame probably. So having five grand come to me, it was just like, it completely changed my worldview because I didn't even understand you could have that amount of money in your hand. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was kind of up and down for a bit, but my wife had a really good job. She had a family business and, you know, her earnings were good and they, they were always the same. So we could kind of rely on that. And it gave me the breathing room to just kind of go for it. And, you know, that was 2011 and I've never worked for anyone since. Um, and generally, with a few exceptions, every year I've earned more than the previous year, a couple of years ago, there was a couple of exceptions, and then I found out about you know Facebook um, advertising back when that worked really fucking well. Mm. Um, and then I, you know, I had a crazy bloody year when I was doing like twenty grand a month. So I went from like a bit of a bad month, a bit of a bad year, to suddenly go whoa. And then that was like um, you know I've got Mercedes parts in the drive. I live in a five bedroom house <laughs> and shit. <laughs> But then the sales went down again, so now I'm in a five-bedroom house with a Mercedes, and I'm not earning that money. So, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so it's up and down. It's uh, it's you have good times and bad times, but generally I'm blessed, and you know I never thought my life would be anywhere close to where it is. And the thing that's worth more than all the money is just the freedom. Mm. Um, you know, the, we've had this coronavirus. My wife isn't stuck at home suffering with the kids while I'm off working. You know, I'm at home. We're doing it together. We're both giving each other breaks. My wife quit her career to work with me doing, you know, she does my paperbacks on Ingram Sparks and my website things. So it's so fantastic that we're all together as a family all the time. We, you know, we make our own sort of hours. We do what we want to do. You know, tomorrow, like I said to you earlier, before the interview, we're going to the zoo. You know, it's Friday. Everybody else is a bit work, but, you know, we're going to the <laughs> zoo. That's worth more than anything. And if my wages drop to a point where I'm only just about scraping by, I'm still so much more blessed than doing a job where I'm earning more, but I'm miserable. Yeah. Do you ever, like you say, because there's a lot of ups and downs along the way, um, you know, you have these highs where you think everything's going to be okay and just, it's never going to fall and then it does come back down. Are there ever any points where you stop and you go, maybe maybe I should consider something more stable? Are you solidly now on the, this is, this is my future, this is, this is what I'm doing? Um, we're in a bit of a, a point now where my wife's the one that has to have that on her mind because at the moment my income's good enough to support us both and she helps with the business and keeps that income up there. But if income from the book starts to fall, then the dagger starts to kind of hang mm. over her head and she has to like go get a job because what I'm earning as an author is so much more than I'd earn doing anything else because I'm not, I'm not qualified. I don't really have any experience other than a bit of sales and stuff so for me my way that my earnings would have to go so low to be at a point where it would be better to get a job elsewhere whereas for for my wife you know she was a, a managing director and she could get a high paid job so she's the one that's kind of more vulnerable to that um but there's been there's been probably twice o- over the last sort of nine ten years when it's looked like okay the, the dream might be coming to an end now i've had a run of it and their sales have gone really bad and and I'm still really blessed because when I talk about having really bad months um really you know those two dips that almost forced me to contemplate work elsewhere those were still sort of two and a half grand three months and I know I I have to remind myself that for a lot of authors that would be you know a dream come true to earn that from books outside I have to keep it in perspective that kind of a bad year for me is only bad in relation to sort of what I've been doing 
So you have to kind of keep yourself grounded and go, you know what, as long as we're paying the bills, we're, I'm so lucky to do this. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely been a couple of times when it, it's looked dire. And that, that's the key to me still being around because I know there's some guys that started off with me that they're not, they're not full-time anymore or they're not even doing it. They're just, they've moved on to other things. Um, and for, for me, I've always managed to come back because I always keep going until I find what works. Um, and in, in the early days, that used to be experimentation and kind of being a bit of a trendsetter myself. But I've totally been kind of left behind now. I'm not one of the guys that can give out advice that nobody else knows, which I was doing a lot at the beginning. I'm, I'm very much a follower now, but I know the guys to follow. So mm. for me, Mark Dawson turned it around for me with his Facebook course because I was coming off one of the back of off the back of one of my worst years and I was desperate and looking for a solution and I found Mark's Facebook course and as I said the next year was the best year I've ever had so there's always some key you can find that will unlock you know the, the sales and the growth but the market market never stays static so it what you've got one minute won't work forever and Facebook ads while I still use them that they're, they're not you know the money spinners that they were for me they're just kind of keeping me consistent now and, and keeping me from falling but you know I'm still always on the search for the next big thing and, and while that used to be something I could find out on my own it's the, the market's evolved so much now that you've got you know you, you want to follow the experts that you know spent 10 years in marketing or or you know they're IT you know geniuses that work out some sort of algorithm you know these these are the people that I follow now because they're the ones that think outside the box and they kind of create their own success and then luckily if you're getting quick enough you can kind of ride their wave mm, absolutely and you're now at a point where like we said in the intro you've got you've got a fair host of books behind your name now you've got well over 20 novels um and a couple of different series as well I want to I do want to get a bit probably niche into this topic because there's a lot of stuff that I want to I want to learn from you. Um, and one of those is that you're making quite good money by writing a lot of standalones, which seems to be contrary to a lot of the common advice that you get nowadays. And I understand that with horror, it's difficult or more difficult to serialize. But what, what is your strategy when it comes to writing a release in horror at the minute? Um, honestly, if I had the choice, I'd, 90% of what I write would probably be standalones. That's what I personally enjoy writing. Mm. Um, and I'd very much, if, I, if it was down to me, I'd be very much like Stephen King and I'd write big, fat standalones. The reason I don't is, is sort of the market economics because, as you say, that's kind of contrary to what breeds success for most people. So there's been a couple of times when I've written for the market rather than for myself. The first time was when KU first came around, Kindle Unlimited, um, and it favoured um, sort of downloads quantity over quality. So... If somebody downloaded your book, I forget now, you got like 25p or something, and you get that every single time you had a book downloaded, whether it was a you know a hundred thousand word novel or a 25 page short story, you get paid the same. And straight away, you had all these authors um, with short works were suddenly doing better, and um, they started you know you get short stories spammed everywhere and things like that. So. I was forced because my income literally halved about 50%. Um, well, obviously half is 50%. So my income halved um, pretty much overnight with Kindle Unlimited when it first came about. Um, so I was forced to start writing short stories to kind of gain the system. And while I didn't like doing it, I had no choice really because I was already too deep in the rabbit hole in that 
this was my career and it's how I was keeping a roof over my head. So I had to make the money rather than just do what I wanted to do. So I wrote a load of short stories and that's how the A to Z of um, horror came about. It was actually 26 standalone stories just to gain the system to get those download numbers rather than actual sort of quality purchases. Then they changed it to Kindle Unlimited 2.0, where they then started doing it per page, which meant that straight away, people that wrote good long books that people read all the way to the end were the ones making the money, which is a far better system. Um, I went back to writing novels. So that's one time that I wrote for market. And then the second was um, starting to write series, which I don't really want to do. Um, I find it really hard to keep previous books in my head and characters. And I find that rather than a story coming to me and me writing it, because I've got that in my head and I want to get it out, I find that writing a series is very much more um, cerebral in that you have to think about what you're going to write. You go, right, what am I going to do in the next book? And I don't find that as much fun as just going, right, I really want to write about this and I'm going to sit down and do it. Yeah. So I don't get as much pleasure from series. And it is more difficult because you've got so many plot threads. Um, but I wrote the six books in the Hell on Earth series, which I've just concluded this week with the release of Rebirth. Yes, I got that update. Congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, and it does, it does make more money, you know, and... Um, there was a time when I could make um, profit on a, on a single book on Facebook ads. So I'd advertise the final winter at four ninety nine, and I'd make, you know, probably 30% profit. So I'd spend a pound, I'd make £1.30 back in royalties. So I could write standalones and just advertise standalones. But now that you just, it's so hard to just make direct profit like that. So you've got to do the thing with read through, which is, the, the sort of the hot take at the moment is read through and calculate your read through and do a series. So you advertise book one a load and you hope that people read the next five and then that's how you make your money, you know, sort of further down the line. And one thing that's never sort of really changed from in the last few years is, is mailing list sign up. So those will always grow your business. So if you can grow your mailing list, you'll grow kind of your, your sales base and that, that gives you stability that I never had in the earlier years of my uh, career. So I definitely recommend a mailing list and yeah so for me the coach strategy is to probably write one or maybe two series and then release one or two standalones a year which I have to do for my own sort of sanity in a break and I get really excited when I'm about to write a standalone um, and but like you said contrary to sort of common belief my standalones have done really well so um, the room upstairs is, is sold really well and it's only just started to kind of um, descend into sort of lower sales but it had a good sort of four or five months of really sort of cane in sales so if you really do want to do standalones you know do it because you, you don't want to burn out so if you want to do that then that's what you should do and just accept that you might not make as much money as you might do doing series but it's all about balance mm. how how do you serialize horror because from a lot of what I've been looking into, and obviously you know that I'm I'm serialising my my novel at the minute when winter comes. Um, yeah, it, it it seems to be a very very difficult thing to try and manage because obviously in horror a lot of people die, and what I have seen is that that in the horror charts there are a lot of series with yeah. what I would argue are horror sub sub genres, um, and there's yeah. a lot of urban fantasy, there's a lot of thriller that have sort of the horror edge, but there's there's not from what I can see many horror series like just pure horror series how how do you approach yeah, that it, it pisses me off and it pisses off a lot of horror authors to be honest the horror charts um, are a mess at the minute yeah and it's nearly all paranormal romance and things yeah, and yeah. Um, the, the reason authors do it is because horror is quite a small pool really relatively mm. speaking compared to romance and and thrillers and things so 
if you've got authors that have got no chance of getting, you know, number one in the, the paranormal romance or the erotica or anything like that, they go, right, what's a smaller chart that I can try and dominate? And, you know, they'll, they'll go for horror or something like that. And, yeah. And because sort of romance and erotica is such a huge genre that even a relatively unsuccessful romance author can probably get in the horror charts because they're a small fish in a huge pond, whereas in horror, you know, we're a small pond full of kind of big fishes all trying to trying to make it. So, yeah, the horror chart gets abused a lot. Um, mm. It does annoy me. Um, <laughs> it's hard to do a horror series in some respects um, because generally you want the bad guy to end uh, die at the end because that's, you know, the catharsis of the horror novel. Mm. Um, apocalyptic tends to be a lot easier because obviously that's world spanning. You can pick up and drop characters from any you know, part of the world and they're all going through the same sort of crisis. And you find that a lot of the series in horror tend to be apocalyptic. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it personally, but I think a good sort of way to do a series would be like Jason Halloween type thing where, mm. you know, you keep bringing the bad guy back. So you could do it that way. And um, I mean, for myself, I kind of go for a bit of an in-between sometimes in that all my standalones are linked. They all have plot threads that go throughout. Um, and once my readers learn that, it's, it makes them very eager to go for my other books to see if they can find these little Easter eggs and plot threads. I've seen so that, that quite commonly of, in thrillers. Yeah. Um, and I think I kind of copied that from Brian Keane, who, who kind of links a lot of his Labyrinth books together. Yeah. Um, and J.O. Conraff does it a bit as well. And, you know, Joe's a friend of mine and things. So I definitely stole that um, thing and I know Stephen King kind of retconned it into his work later on mm. um, and then it's all with the Dark Tower so I think that's a good way if you don't want to write series you can kind of add that appeal to your standalones but I mean really it's it's simple to do a series and get people to read through you write a book the, the key is you have to make the book feel self-contained so there needs to be kind of a, a book level story that you complete and you provide answers for and then there just needs to be a background story that over arc so if you just write a story and leave it hanging people get really pissed off at you and you'll get bad reviews um and you know so you have to kind of make each book a standalone story of its own so you have to kind of introduce maybe a you know a monster of the week that gets dealt with in that one book mm. then you've got sort of the overarching big story behind it and you just end every book you know with get book two now or pre-order book two now and you kind of just keep them on the line like that um but the important thing is you don't leave them unsatisfied by the fact that there's another book they need to read you've got to make each book kind of stand on its own feet and work on its own merits otherwise you're going to end up pissing people off mm. when you talk about writing horror apocalyptic books what kind of post-apocalyptic scenario are we looking at there is it primarily your typical EMP is it you know virus based is there what was the sort of string there that, that makes it horror as opposed to just a general apocalyptic um I think an apocalyptic scenario in itself is horrible um so I don't think you can have an apocalypse without the horror mm. embedded hold on my daughter's just walked in oh, <laughs> oh no it's your bunny can you go see mummy can you go see mummy because that's just working at the moment all right thank you um, so yeah, I, I don't. I think the, the the genres are entwined, and you can't unentwine them. Um, and I think what, what we fear, what makes horror horror, is is having our 
senses and our comforts taken away from us. So, you know, if we're stuck in a deep, dark wood, we, we can't see properly. We, we're in an environment we're not used to. Um, sort of we can hear things that we can't locate. And, you know, that's the horror of being stuck in a deep, dark wood comes from the disorientation and, and sort of discomfort of not being in our natural environment, uh, one we're used to and that we're safe in. Um, and I think apocalyptic fiction kind of entails that very same thing. It's it's all about losing the comforts of our modern living. Mm. And, um, you know, not getting food and warmth. And, and Sorry, my daughter's at the door again. <laughs> right, I'll speak to you in a minute, right, sweetheart? Love you. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's it is horror. Um, it's all about sort of taking away the things that make us feel safe um, and forcing us to kind of confront our inner strengths that we we might not know are there and um, yeah. force us to confront our weaknesses. You know, so horror is very much about deprivation. I think it's um, it's about depriving a person of something they rely on, and then it's watching, you know, how much of their inner strength they can find to kind of vanquish the obstacle that's you know it's it's very much um people always say that horror you know is a bit of a disturbed genre and how do you come up with these ideas but i find it the most uplifting genre because I, I think it's always about finding our inner strength and overcoming you know things that we're afraid of and it, it's very much good overcoming evil in, you know nine times out of ten um so it's very cathartic it's very uplifting and, and i think that horror is all about hope it's all about um you know we might be at our lowest ebb, but we can always kind of come back from the very worst so it's it's an allegory for many things in our life you know and many horror films are metaphors for, for parts of life like alcohol and teenage sex and you know mm. all those things it's it's to kind of put things in perspective for us um and, and nothing does that more than sort of an apocalyptic scenario where everything we take for granted you know is taken away from us and we learn just just how much we're like animals um, when you you power everything back, um, you know, and we're even less capable really than than an animal in the wild that would that would thrive in an apocalyptic yes. scenario. So, um, yeah, I think apocalyptic fiction is horror. It's just under a different name, and and it's a certain you know scenario. If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. Yeah, it's definitely given me a, a bit to think about because... Like I say, I'm looking at ways to make more series of horror. And that has been a, a path that I've looked at going down. But I've written post-apocalyptic before. I've got uh, the Rot series that I've written with Luke. And uh, yeah. that's when we were writing it. Um, I guess the, the difference there between those books and what I'd probably go on and write now is those books were written with a post-apocalyptic in mind. So it was more catered towards a traditional post-apoc audience with a, bit yeah. of a, with a bit of a horror lilt as opposed to encompassing that horror from the start and really writing in a style that is more representative of, of the horror genre itself yeah that might be a, a way to go yeah and i think at the moment serialization is, is is a good way to go because i think in this day and age you're competing with so many other media and, and people's time is short and i think it's a very small section of society that's willing to read a you know stephen king doorstop or a ken follett <laughs> historical novel um 
people just don't have the time or the inclination. So I, I kind of think fiction is heading towards a shorter, more regular release schedule anyway. People, you know, it's 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 Amazon, you know, Prime. It's we want it now. We want it. Yeah. We want it right away. We don't want to wait. I'm not willing to deal with the old traditional publishing system of, you know, Stephen King releases a book every 18 months. You know, people aren't willing to to do that anymore. That If they like an author and they like what they're reading, they want it now, 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 now. Mm. And I think they prefer five 30,000 word books that, that they can get every three months than waiting, you know, two years for one massive doorstop. So um, I think that's the way the market's going to go. And I think that serves you know, the emerging audience of, of people that have grown up with iPads and things and that might be able to read, you know, 10 minutes on the train here and there and they don't want to really have to invest themselves in a book. Um, mm. And while there's still an audience there, I mean, I, I love Game of Thrones and, and sort of I really love epic fantasy. So I'm I'm perfectly willing to, to sort of commit that time, but then I read daily and, you know, I love to read. It's one of my, you know, my biggest joys. But a lot of people, you know, readings a lot less of an inclination for them and they might do it a lot less often. So then, you know, they might only have a week on a holiday and they want to get a couple of books in. So I think, I think short fiction, you know, it's, it's definitely viable. And I, and I think because of the way Amazon's algorithms work, where they favor books in the first three months as, as hot new releases and things, I think the smartest current way for an author to make a living is to try and get a book out every three months. And if that means you have to write shorter, um, you know, then that's good that the two things kind of work together, that you can get away with writing something shorter. You're not going to get, you know, bad reviews like you might have done, you know, 20 years ago in the normal publishing sector where people have paid nine quid for a paperback and they want their value. Mm. You can charge nine pence for a short book if you want and people aren't going to feel shortchanged. What would you say to a fledgling horror writer who's thinking, okay, I want to start getting into this business. Um, I want to see if I can make it north for start making money through Amazon, through whatever, whatever means. If you were to start over again, what advice would you give to that author? Do it, get started. If you wait a year to get started, then that's an extra year it's going to take you to get anywhere. Um, so do it, you know, make, make your first book as good as you can make it. If you can, if you've got some savings, get it edited properly and get a proper cover. Um, but if you can't still get it out there because if it earns you a tenner a month and you invest that tenner a month in, in getting the things that you need to make it better, you can keep rewriting it if you need. If you write a book and you get one good review and 10 bad reviews, don't pay attention to the good review, pay attention to the 10 bad ones, mm. see what people are criticizing you for and address it. Um, I certainly do that. I pay a lot more attention to my bad reviews, um, possibly because they're so rare. Um, but I've definitely learned from my bad reviews. Um, early on, I got slated for mixing up um, British um, slang with American slang. And I was a complete mess. And because I read so much American fiction and watch so much American TV, and I kind of pictured an American audience that I was writing for, I was, you know, I was saying trash and elevated oh i'm so in your situation right now <laughs> i'm so there you put it in the trunk of the car and stuff and i got slated for it and at first i thought if i write if i write too british then it's going to turn the americans off they won't they won't have any time to learn all the the, the crappy sayings i'm coming out with but they love it my um, american readers they almost you know they all come back to me and they've, they've looked it up on a dictionary or they've looked it up online and, and they've learnt the words and, and they really love learning sort of British sayings and things. And then I also have British 
um, readers who love the fact that, you know, I might have set a scene in bloody Tipton or something, <laughs> you know, it pleases both audiences. So um, definitely just don't, don't try and be anything but what you are. If you, if you want to write a certain way and you speak a certain way and, and your working class, your middle class, your aristocracy, whatever, write who you are. And, and I very much um, learned that lesson after a few books that I, you know, I'm, I'm, I grew up poor in a council estate. I don't speak um, posh. I swear a lot. You know, I, I got involved in booze and crime and things when I was a teenager. And while I've come through that and I'd like to think I've atoned for my past sins, you know, that that's very much part of who I am. So I don't hide that. And I suppose my image of an author when I started was very, you know, a middle-class whiskey drinker with a cigar in a mahogany <laughs> office in a, in a big country house. You know, I didn't, I didn't think a kid from a council estate um, could write books that, any, that were, you know, authoritative enough for people to read that I always felt that, you know, people would look down on anything that I had to say, but it's absolutely the, the, the inverse is true. Mm. Um, if anything, people enjoy the fact that I do have an understanding of, you know, the working class. I'm not just, you know, writing them as a, as a sort of a, a viewer of actually, you know, I've been working class and I'm now middle class and, you know, I'm not kind of mocking either side. That solves so many of our problems. I did, I released a novella last year and I literally had that thing where I was like, most of my audience are American. I'll try and cater it towards the American audience. And I I did just get picked up on people. They're just like, you've not used this right. And, you know, this stands out and, you know, is it UK or US? And the the, the stuff I've written since has all just been, I'm, I'm focusing on, UK because that's what I know that's what I'm, I'm good at and then it seems to have been more well received yeah. so that's a that's a problem solved you uh yeah. you mentioned J.A. Conrath earlier and uh, obviously yeah. he's, he's a blurb on a lot of your books and uh last time we spoke again back in 2017 you mentioned that you dabbled in some collaborations but it wasn't something that you'd feel that you'd probably pick up again yet in the last yeah. few months you have released a couple of books again with with J.A. Conrath. I didn't know if you were, wanted to speak a little bit to that and what might have changed to, to make you think about collaboration again. Um, I haven't. Um, we, we've re-released the previous two books that we wrote together um, because they were published through an agency and now they're published directly by Joe through um, Book Rabbit, I think it's called. Ah, uh, yeah, Under um, Rabbit. We've, we've re-released the books, but we haven't written anything new. Um, funnily enough, last year, um, and I hope these two guys won't mind me mentioning them, but we were actually, um, I was writing a book with two other authors, um, Bobby Adair and T.W. Piper Brook, oh, both yeah. apocalypse authors, um, and we were going to write an artificial intelligence apocalypse story. Amazing. Um, we kind of made a little bit of headway, um, and then one of us had to drop out, unfortunately, due to... Um, some personal issues and, and it kind of got abandoned um, and T.W. Piper Brook was actually a replacement for a, an initial author that also dropped out so it kind of turned into look this just isn't happening is it um, and that's part of the problem you know it's 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 difficult working with other other people and for me um, I'm not really a people person and I don't mean that <laughs> you know um, misanthropic I'm not you know I'm not unfriendly or anything like that um, and if you meet me in the street by all means you know say hello and I'll have a chat but I like being at home I like working in my own my own world in my own set way I don't really like having to do things other people's ways and I don't want to work with other people and have to change I like I'm very set in my ways 
and I suppose because I have the luxury of doing that, I don't really want to do anything but sit at my computer, write what I want to write, how I want to write, when I want to write it, release it when I want to write it. And um, for me, it just adds a lot of stress that I don't want working with other authors. And um, in recent years, I've parred down anything extracurricular. You know, I closed down the, the self-publishing course I was doing and mm. it was I was going to do merchandise and things. And I just, it was all making me miserable. It was all making me stressed. And I just thought, you know what? The thing I really enjoy is writing books and that's what my audience actually want me to do. So I'm going to do that. And I've been a lot happier since. And um, whilst I still have to do a lot of marketing with, with you know, advertising and things, it's, it's great that I've got my wife Sally to do my website and to do you know get the paperbacks formatted and stuff because I, I just all I want to do is write because anything else just stresses me and makes me miserable <laughs> um and uh yeah so I mean when I say I'm not a people person I just you know I like I like being in my own head and and I'm very much you know my best friend is my wife and I love being around my wife and my kids and rarely do I need anything more than that so for me, I can completely live on a desert island with just those people and be fine. So, um, but then you've got guys like Matt Shaw, who's a good friend of mine. Like he is a social butterfly. Um, he hardly ever, you know, he's he's met everybody. He's been all over the world for a ten minute meeting, and he's the complete opposite. To me. So, you know, it, it depends on who you are as a person. And, and the great thing about being an author is it allows you to to do what you want to do you know Matt Shaw going into films and, and he's you know he's used it as a platform to do exactly what he wants to do with his life and for me the opposite is true the less I have to do with the outside world the better yeah which is why you won't see me really at conventions and, and things like that and I don't do public book signings and stuff because I find it well no no offense to people like Matt but I, I kind of find it vanity over sanity for me you know I, I went to Cardiff to do a book signing with them um, with Matt Shaw at a comic con a few years back and you know it ended up costing me more than than I made because of hotels and travel and things and I just thought well it was great to meet everybody you know it's I've missed a weekend being with my son who was like a baby at the time and stuff and I just thought mm, maybe when my kids are older I might you know I might get about a bit more but at the moment you know I speak to people online a lot and I do try to be there for my fans and readers and that but generally i like to be in the house or at the zoo with the kids <laughs> what was the uh, process like bringing your wife into the business it was um it was difficult to be honest and i think my wife's business got purchased by a large conglomerate and they kept her on as a managing director um and she didn't make a fortune or anything like that. The business wasn't worth anything because it was struggling. So she kind of just went from owning her own business to kind of still being in charge of that business, but working for somebody else. Um, mm. And that kind of, it just, you know, it didn't work and it wasn't going to work. She wasn't happy. She didn't like, you know, this business she'd run for 10 years, being managed in ways she didn't agree with. But then she also appreciated the fact that it wasn't her business anymore. So eventually she left. And um, she kind of toyed with helping me out, but then it was kind of like, does she do something else? Does she start a new business and things like that? And um, if you ever want to start a business, try coming up with a bloody idea because it is impossible. <laughs> we spent probably a whole year just trying to think, what could we do to make money? And it's so, everything's done. And any business you can think of, it's so difficult because everything's already out there. Um, so unless you're... Unless you're in IT and you can invent some brilliant machine, or you know, it's so difficult nowadays. So, um, 
that kind of went out the window. And then she was going to be a Slimming World consultant, and you know, but then you find out the truth behind that business model, and you're like, mm. yeah, it's not actually making money for anybody but Slimming World. Um, so she was kind of like, well, you know, I really do want to do the business with you, Ian, because it'd be great to work together on things. And um, the biggest problem was, I, but at that point, I had ten years of knowledge of learning things because you do learn things constantly in this job. So. I knew how to set up a website, I knew how to use Photoshop, I knew how to do Facebook ads. I'm trying to explain that stuff. It's so difficult um, that it, it did end up making her feel quite, um, I suppose, in, insecure and things. And um, it was also really difficult for me to go from 10 years doing everything myself to relinquishing. So yeah. there was definitely issues with it. And, and I think it came to head and we had a big blowout about it, a big argument. Um, but then after that, it's been fine. And I think I think she was in a position where she wasn't respecting the 10 years I've put into this business and felt I was talking down to all the time. And I also wasn't, I wasn't respecting the fact that I needed to kind of give a letter off the reins and, and go. So once we had a blow out at each other, it's been fine ever since. And, and, and it's great. We've, you know, we've, we've got desks next, next to each other. Um, and she does all the stuff that I don't want to do, all the stuff that takes me away from, from sort of writing. But then that tends to be the stuff she loves. So it works really well and, and a lot of people go oh god how can you start working with your partner and being with her 24 hours a day but then it's like because i married my best friend because i married the person i like being around the most i mean isn't that the point i can't, I can't understand why you'd marry someone that you don't want to be with all the time it's like <laughs> i married her otherwise i'd have found someone that i did like being with so for me yeah it's great i, I we you know we have lunch together we we walk and get the kids from the school around the corner together at sort of half three. And yeah, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. And to be honest, we're a lot, lot poorer since she left her kind of massively paid, powerful managing director role. You know, she, she earned a lot of money. Um, and it, it took probably a year for her to quit because we were so frightened of giving up all that money. And I can't say we've regretted it once. Mm. It's, it's the best thing we ever did because she now has that same freedom that I have. And we, we're truly free now in that we don't have bosses. We don't have nine to five. We take holidays whenever we want. Um, we're always there for the kids. We don't miss a thing, you know, and, and that's, you know, that makes me feel even more blessed because I managed to create a business not just for me now, but for my wife and we're both free. And, you know, again, that's, that's why it might be hard, but if you want to be an author, then, then do it today. Don't wait. Don't doubt yourself. Even if your book's not that great, you've got to start, just get it out there. If you get bad reviews, read the bad reviews, fix it, write book two and make it better, write book three and make that better. Start a mailing list and start adding people. You know, it might take you 10 years. It might take you one year. You, that might depend on how good an author you are, but it's not magic. And I know a lot of authors would like you to think that there's some sort of superior being that has a God-given talent that can't be learned. But it it is a job, you know. I'm twice the author I was 10 years ago because I've learned to be, because I've learned how to write properly and and because editors have helped me and things. And, <laughs> and what, okay, Probably not everybody can be an author, but I think if somebody wants to be an author, then that means they've probably got the thing in them that means they can do it because they want to be one. Um, so do it, you know, don't don't doubt, don't worry about it being hard, don't feel like a fraud and that you're not, you've got no right to be here because all that's in the past, all that bullshit is gone. You don't need anyone's permission anymore. If you want to tell a story and try and send it to people, do it. If you make £5 a year, say so what? You've, you've made money, you know, the 
from something you love. So just just do it because if it works for you, like it has for me and a lot of other authors, it's just you are truly blessed. There's, it's it's like winning the lottery of jobs. No, that's absolutely right. I I totally agree with that. I remember um the first real money I made off of writing, I was doing. It was it was a weird blog, and I won't go into the intricacies of it, but it basically involved cryptocurrency earning through blogging and people upvoting. I managed to basically just from a week of blogging make three hundred pound on this site through different cryptocurrencies and stuff. And part yeah. of me was like, "It's cryptocurrency, I'll never get it." But then I found ways to convert that into real cash, and I drew that out, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like particularly <laughs> when you when you're working a job, and like you say, you, you've got that benchmark money you're earning anyway. Anything above that is is amazing. So it could be five, it could be ten quid. The fact that you've actually made money just from putting words out there is, is a real boost to push you forward. I remember taking, yeah. I think, yeah, like about 300 quid and I took a big chunk of that. And, and at the time I gave my uh, my partner at the time, bought her a cake mixer because she was massively into baking. I, I've never felt like, you know, the biggest, <laughs> a bigger man since. Because <laughs> it's like, I, I bought this money and this is for you. This is made of writer money. Go make cake. Um, so it was quite a big moment. But yeah, there's definitely something to be said for just getting your fingers on the keyboard, writing and just making something happen because nothing will unless you, you put those wheels into motion. And the beauty of it is even more you're not successful, anything you earn is extra money, you know, and mm. I think most people would like a bit of extra money. So say you're only earning three, four hundred pounds a month, you know, that's that's a good pay rise. Um, and once you write the book once, it's out there forever earning you a bit of money. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just, if you want to be an author do it for the pure joy of doing it. And if you earn any money, then that's, you know, it's, it's money. It's however much it is, it's extra money. Mm. Um, and all you really need to concentrate on is just doing better than yourself previously. You don't compete with anybody else. You don't think about a, a certain amount of money you need to earn. You just go, right, last month I earned 14 quid. This month I earned 30. I've doubled it, you know, 30 <laughs> quid more than nothing, but you've, you've improved, you've gotten better. And that's what you need to do with this, this business. Like any business is you just got to try and keep making the business better and keep collecting customers and then keeping those customers. And that isn't an overnight thing. Um, you know, and, and what it almost was in 2011 for me and many other authors, um, it's, it's like any other business, you know, if you want to be a dog groomer, you're not going to be rich overnight. You need to, advertise you need to find the, the, the you know the clients and you also need to do good dog grooming with the clients you do get and, and it's, just, it's the same of any business so write a book and then just concentrate on making either that book better or your next book better and you just you just go from there and you just try and improve on yourself and eventually you'll reach some point that you never thought you would you've you've mentioned mailing lists a couple of times obviously that's a very very vital part of, of your entire business what are you currently yeah. employing uh, in terms of how you're recruiting people onto your mailing list at the minute? What are your what are your big imports? Um, the most important thing I think is is the reader magnet because you've got to entice people to sign up, and that can be easy or hard based on whether people like you or not already. But obviously, if you're just starting out, then it can be more difficult. If you've only got one novel, then you don't necessarily want to give that novel away for free. But what I would say is, if you are a new author and you've released one novel, then start on your second novel and get that one out and then give your first book away for free. And that might seem crazy, but at that point in your career, it's all about gathering supporters because that's, you know, if you meet, if you get to a critical mass where people are promoting you for free, you know, they're telling people how great you are and they're telling their family, which happens a lot. Um, you know, you reach that critical mass and then 
kind of your business takes off on its own. So early on, you don't think about the money, think about the amount of sort of readers you've got and fans. And later on, if you're in a position like me, you can afford to give away five novels because I've got, I need to update my biography, but I've got over 30 novels now. So me giving away five novels might seem insane to some people, but for me, you know, it's, it's a great incentive for people to try my work if they haven't already, because you know, they can really see whether they like my stuff. And if they do, great, because I've got another 25 novels written right now and another hopefully 40, 50 years of life to write more. So I think you read a magnet, make it as strong as can possibly be. And if, you know, if you've only got one novel, then maybe create a short story or something just for the read magnet, but make it, make it really worthwhile for people to sign up because and I've known authors get this wrong and feel like people on their mailing list owe them something that they've had these three books and now you're mine. But hmm. you, your readers never owe you anything. Um, and if you think they do, then you're going to have a, a wake up call. So you always need to be doing things for your readers. You know, you need to give them as much value as you can. And if you do that, then off their own back, they'll help you. They'll buy your future books. They'll promote you. But you can never demand anybody do it. The most you can do is politely ask, and even that sometimes is too much. Um, so you just have to think, and you have to appreciate the fact that without your readers, then there's no author career. There's no way of having one without them. So you should always be grateful to your readers because they can go and pick up a book from somebody else, but you can't make a living without them. So give as much value as you can to people on your mailing list um, and, you know, appreciate them for what they are. They're, they're putting food on your table, you know, and for me, they literally put the roof over my head. So I never forget that, um, which is why, you know, I, I try to look after the ones that have looked after me and, and if I can do, you know, a freebie or something like that, then I'll, I'll do it, you know. Um, I think it's uh, automation is obviously really important as well because if you're, try, if you're serious about a mailing list and you are adding people constantly, the last thing you want to be doing is on to reply to emails individually and handing over books and stuff. So you need to set up some sort of automation and, and that's a learning process in itself and, mm. and doesn't come easily if you're not technical minded, but that's a key part of it. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, I have... I have um, call to actions at the end of all my books. I have an advert with an image saying that you can get free books if you go to this link. People can click on it and get the book straight away. So that's that's the the main organic way that I get uh, mailing list signups. People buy one of my books, they get to the end, they see the offer, they sign up. Um, but I do sometimes spend about twenty five quid a day on Facebook ads as well, sending people to a landing page. I did used to use Facebook lead gen ads, which automatically adds people to your mailing list, but I found that the quality, you probably found that out of every three subscribers, any one of them really opened your emails, whereas mm. with a landing page, you might get less people signing up, but you find about 50% of them are genuine sort of signups. That's so key, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, set up a landing page and send as many people to it as you can. You can do that for free just by posting on Facebook or mentioning it wherever you can, mention it in, it in your email signatures and things and put it on a business card, leave your business card everywhere. There's free ways you can do that. Um, and then if you've got a bit of money, especially if you're starting out, if you're earning 50 quid a month in sales, maybe put 25 quid a month um, twenty-five quid a month on it, just on a little ad that's spending, you know, a quid a day, just to add a couple of people a day because you know, you want that positive momentum always. You, you always want something to be happening. You always want something to be growing. Um, I don't spend too much on mailing lists. 
um, because I do get a lot of organic sort of um, sign-ups. And I also feel that with the amount of books I've got, I can spend that money on advertising a book and I'll get the sign-up incidentally when they get to an advert at the end or, mm. you know, things like that. So for me, I, I, I get more bang for my book by actually promoting books and trying to get people to buy them. But definitely starting out when you don't have 30 books on sale, concentrating you, you sort of your spare funds on signing up mailing list subscribers is, is probably a pretty smart thing to do. Mm. We are unfortunately coming up to time, but I do have one main question before we go into the quick fire round, which is yeah. why do you, Ian Rob Wright, write? What do I write? Why do you write? Why do I write? Um, I don't know, really. I <laughs> say the same, they don't really know why. I mean, for the same reason that I love to read and watch films and play video games, I like to escape. I like escapism. I like to fantasize. I like to daydream. And I love being involved, you know, in my work life in that as well. You know, I, I relax by escaping into sort of these fictional worlds and I made my day job the same thing. So I get to enjoy, you know, all my life. And um, I think it's just something I always wanted to do as a child. And, you know, somebody that becomes an Olympic sprinter, you know, that's something in them that they want to do that. It's just, it's something, I think it's part of the human condition and that we've always told stories and some personality types just have this burning desire to, to kind of create and some people might paint and some people might play, play the piano. But, you know, for me, I love to read. I love stories. I love characters. Um, so I just kind of, I wanted to do what I love for my job and, that's what I do. Beautiful. Well put. Okay. So into the quick fire round now, which is 10 questions. I'm going to throw at you as quickly as possible. You can say pass at any point, but we're going to try and go as fast as we can. Are you ready? Yeah. Beautiful. Do you prefer being hot or cold? Cold. What's your favorite TV show of all time? Um, oh, Jesus. Angel probably. <laughs> when was the last time you sneezed? Um, yesterday. What's your favourite type of monster or demon? Ooh, I like gins. Nice. Do you believe in ghosts? No. Are you right or left-handed? Right. When was the last time you scared yourself with your writing? Never. You get given £10,000, no strings attached. What do you do with it? Um, pay it off the mortgage. What's your favourite word? Discombobulated. Which three people do you thank in your Pulitzer Prize winning speech? Uh, my wife and my two children. Beautiful. That's 10 questions. One bonus question is where can my listeners find out everything about you and all that you're working on? Um, um will generally tell you what I'm up to, but if you want news immediately as it comes out, then my mailing list stores of the first people to know what's going on. Beautiful. I'll drop some links to that in the show notes for anyone that wants to check that out. Ian, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really nice to catch up. Been a pleasure. Thank you, Daniel. No worries. And thank you everyone for listening and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Next week, I'll be joined by podcasters and authors of gay romance fiction, Jeff Adams and Will Knaus. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writers Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash Great Writers Share and support the show for as little as $1 a month. 
One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash Great Writers Share. Until next time.